The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Is this on? Is it on? Yes? Okay. All right. So, um, hello, everyone. Welcome. It's so nice to see all of you and to see my dear friends, Michael and Kate. How nice to see you and have you here. Yeah, it really makes my heart happy. So, um, I was here last week, and I'm doing three, uh, th- three consecutive weeks while Andrea is in retreat out in Massachusetts. And while I didn't have a theme for uh, the three weeks, it's sort of turning into that a little bit. Uh, So I want to just uh, give a brief review of what we talked about last week, and then that really leads into what I want to talk about tonight. So what I want to talk about tonight, what I'm going to talk about tonight, is that quality of uh, resistance and inner defensiveness that generally throws us off balance when we're trying to um, have some clarity about the way things are unfolding in our lives. So what we talked about last week was um, mental obscurations, the obscurations of mind that keep us from seeing... um, uh, the habits that, that cloud what's actually going on. So these, these are called um, defilements, but in English, that's kind of a loaded word. So I don't like to use the word defilement, although that's exactly what, um, that's how it's taught in, in Buddhism or in, in classical Buddhism. I like to call it uh, uh, obscurations, mental obscurations, that's been referred to as inner demons, it's been referred to as uh, torments of mind, and so on and so forth. So um, we talked about these torments that are habitual reactive states, and um, they generally are, um, they arise unconsciously in response to some, or reaction to some object that's being known wrongly. So uh, that's being seen wrong. Uh, either thoughts, beliefs, assumptions, etc., etc., etc. These thoughts, beliefs, and assumptions that are rooted in, um, in desire, aversion, or in just not knowing. So, uh, I talked about how these are recognized when, when they come in each of these different categories of uh, when they arise uh, accompanied by ignorance or when they arise accompanied by attachment and when they arise uh, accompanied by aversion. And then we talked about different ways to work with the torments and I gave six different Uh, ways that I'll just mention again for those of you who were here, you might remember. Uh, The first is to recognize uh, what's going on. So by recognizing what's happening, it 
helps to break the spell of enchantment and the narrative about ourselves. These things generally have um, a story attached to them with us as the central figure and player. It's all about me, me, me. There's some narrative going on. There's generally some comparison going on. And um, so it's important that we begin to recognize that. And then uh, the next... uh, Uh, suggestion is to relax and to begin to accept that this is just the way things are for me at this particular moment. It won't be like this forever, but right now, this is the way it is. Okay, so relax. Then um, to, to practice some sort of restraint. So Let's say that what has arisen for us is um, a powerful emotion like anger. Um, It doesn't mean that we have to act anger out. It means that we have to see that anger is there. And um, we, we restrain from acting it out, and we don't indulge it. We don't go down the rabbit hole with it. We simply see that that's what's happening. And, um, and so uh, this is how we don't indulge the story of it. And then this next one is to reframe our experience. And this is really important um, because when we see anger or whatever it is, fear or clinging or wanting or whatever the obscuration is, when we see it... Um, as an obstacle, uh, it generally is an obstacle. So, so I'll give you an example. If you're trying to meditate and you're trying to settle the mind down and let the mind rest on the breath and the mind wanders off into some thought train, you're just lost in thought. When you're lost in thought, that's exactly what's happening. You're lost in thought. You don't even know you're lost in thought because you're lost in thought. When you're lost in thought, you're not meditating. But the moment, the very moment you know lost in thought, you're aware again. You see? So if we can reframe, and, and so generally at that moment where we wake up, sometimes there's a We don't like the fact that we were lost. We judge ourselves and so on and so forth. And so these deeper layers of obscurations begin to take over. And um, so if you can reframe your experience as this is an opportunity to practice being aware. This is an opportunity to actually see with some clarity. And so it's because we've been challenged in some way and that we're uncomfortable in some way, that we either get lost or we can reframe it as an opportunity. So when I teach the compassion program, it's um, important or uh, it's part of the program to begin to um, come to a place where we can see that no matter how someone is acting, that everyone basically has the desire to be safe, 
to be happy, to be safe and happy. And so if I'm in contention with you, um, I can just be pissed off at you, or I can realize that your behavior and your action is in fact, at some level, your idea of how you're going to be happy and safe, how you can best be happy and safe. So you might be pushing back against me, you might be very aggressive, you might not realize that I'm thinking you're a jerk, but that's what you do because you think you're in a place of vulnerability, which is what I want to talk about a little bit later. And, And so if we can just see that this is what's happening in someone else, we can also see that when we're challenged with, with this within ourselves, that we can reframe it. So these experiences can be actually worthy opponents if you look at them in that way. And that changes the whole relationship that we have with whatever is, is coming up as difficult to us. So uh, the next uh, uh, thing on the list was to receive, to receive. They're all, they all begin with ours. And I, I, um, I was with a teacher recently on retreat, and he gave a talk that was built on, on the same type of thing. And I'm, I'm just <laughs> I'm reframing, recycling his, thought, his talk because I found it so powerful for me. So to, to receive. So the nature of the torment or the nature of the defilement um, c- can be observed with a kind of relaxed interest. So what you can do at any point is to simply say what is being known. Just with curiosity, what's being known right now? What's really true right now? Byron Katie does um, something where, is this true? Do you know it's true? And so on. I've never done Byron Katie work, but it's a little bit like that. What is actually being known now? Not what do we think is being known, what do we want to have happen, what do we expect, but what's actually being known now? You can also ask, is awareness present? And let me give you an example. Um, uh, We're breathing all the time but we're not always aware that we're breathing. So I would speculate that most of you might not have been aware of your breath until I mentioned it at that particular moment. I wasn't. Uh, so this is something that you can, you can begin to um, get familiar with what it's like to be to bring awareness to your experience because it's with awareness that you can begin to recognize when the obscurations are present. And, um, and then to realize that uh, the, the, the characteristics of these obscurations or these defilements are always in permanent, unsatisfactory, conditional, and insubstantial. So... They're, they're ever-changing. They're infused with the quality of insubstantiality. So you're not going to find anything of yourself in there other than what you put in there. And, um, and they 
lead to suffering. So um, that's essentially uh, a very quick review of what we talked about last, last week. So, <clears throat> so tonight I wanted to talk about um, this kind of resistance and inner defensiveness that is experienced as an obscuration of mind. And in order to be with this, we have to cultivate the quality of mindfulness that allows us to see what's actually going on. So to see, to meet our experience with awareness um, is absolutely essential because if we're not aware of what's going on, um, we'll always be caught um, sort of like a rodent on one of those wheels that just goes around and around and around. So um, through practicing awareness, we begin to see um, how we build our personal worlds. We begin to see how we build our sense of who we are, our, identif- our self-identifications, how we self-identify. You know, I'm a man, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm a meditator, I'm a friend, I'm a, f- et cetera, et cetera, whatever it happens to be. It also reveals us uh, our habitual and historic uh, patterns of thinking and behaving, guarding, protecting, being, uh, the different ways that we're in relationship to one another and to ourselves, most particularly to ourselves. So um, we, we begin to discover um, that as we look at this, it's a dynamic process that's changing all the time. And because it's changing and there's no stability, uh, it, can, it can be scary because it seems unreliable. It seems unreliable when we look at, at what we're doing and what we're um, infusing our, our, uh, our um, sense of, of well-being and stability on. So what happens, well, I'll speak from my own experience. I, won't, I can't say what happens for the rest of you, but I can say for myself that when I touch these places, um, I notice that there's an inner resistance. There's a not wanting to be with that place that's uncomfortable, that place that's, there's the feeling of stress inside. So I want something and um, it's not happening the way I want it. And then there's this moment, there's this place of stress. Do you re- does that, can you relate to this? Yes. Okay. So sometimes this resistance is directed towards something very specific. And sometimes it's just a kind of general malaise. I don't know what I'm resisting. I'm just resisting. There's just a feeling of contraction. There's a a sense of um, being at odds with the way things actually are. So, um, what what seems to be called for here is... um, the cultivation of awareness to be present with 
this feeling without uh, meddling with it, without mucking it up, without explaining it, without trying to change it, to simply see it, to simply be with it and see it for what it is, not for what we think it is, not for what we expect it should be, not for what we want, just as it is. So <clears throat> the question becomes, how can, we, how can we be real in relationship to our present experience without getting in the middle of it and, um, and, and trying to, uh, to meddle with it? And is it even possible for us to cultivate the wholesome habit of non-interference uh, in order to counter this kind of inner conflict? So before I go on, I, I'm not entirely sure that I've got everybody connected on the same wavelength of what I'm actually referring to in terms of this inner resistance. Um, so I want to just talk about it a little bit more. And if anyone has a question, please, this is the time to, to bring it up. But that feeling when... Sometimes it's very clear. Sometimes there's something I have in mind and uh, you have something else in mind and there's an there's a obvious conflict. And so there's a feeling that comes up. The feeling is underneath the story of the conflict. You see, the, st- the feeling is underneath this, the narrative and the comparisons that go on in in the story. The feeling is what connects all of us as common humanity. You all know what it feels like to be vulnerable. You all know what it feels like to resist your situation. You all know what it feels like to want to be happy. You all know what it feels like when you want vanilla ice cream and you get chocolate and that disappointment, you see. So it's this feeling that we're looking at. It's this, this experience that connects us as human beings and not the story. So I work with people one-on-one. I do grief counseling and I work with people doing meditation practices. And it's interesting because I... I can try to point people there and they sort of get it. And this is true for me. This is a big practice. They sort of get it. And then literally within moments, they default back to their story. And it's because it's them, I can see it. But when I do it, I don't see it. It's lost in thought. That's what I'm talking about. And so when we when we keep going to the story of whatever has happened or whatever we thought has happened, we, are, we never get out of it. We're always in story. But when we go underneath that to what's actually real for us, even if what's real is, I don't know what's happening here. I just don't know. I just know something's unpleasant. I don't know what it is. 
And what most of us do when we have this feeling is that we abandon ourselves. We literally bolt. We can't be there because it's too uncomfortable. And because we've, we've been habituated to respond in a, such a way as to get away from that which feels dangerous. Because really where we're going here is, is a, to a place of vulnerability. And what vulnerability means is that we're opening. We, w- we wouldn't feel vulnerable if we weren't open, if we weren't opening. So when we open, it's not just the beautiful sublime qualities like compassion and love and friendship and generosity and all of those wonderful things that comes up. It's all the shadow. It's the greed, the hate, the, the jealousy, the enmity, the, you know, all of those things are there. And all of the, it's really important for us to um, cultivate the awareness that recognizes that within all of us, both things, res- I mean, we're, we're complete beings. We're not just light and love and beauty. And we're not just darkness and fear and greed and sadness and, you know, jealousy and all of those other things. But we are both of those things, are all of those things. And um, when we begin to notice things like how we resist being with what is difficult, you see, Or even when things are wonderful, even when things seem really, really fantastic and everything is going the way we want and then we think, I never want this to change. Something's going to happen and it's going to take it away from me. You see, that's a form of rub as well. So so to be able to be in this place is really to be vulnerable and to be able to be with it honestly requires courage. And this is what compassion actually is. Compassion is the ability to be with things exactly as they are without needing to, ch- without, I won't say it this, that way, needing to change, but without them needing to change, without the circumstances needing to change. You see? So, I may have said this last week, and if I did, forgive me for repeating myself, but many people think that these qualities, like, the, like compassion, actually mean that whatever is challenging us will be reconciled and resolved. If, if I'm having a difficulty and I feel compassion, then the situation will be reconciled and resolved. Or if I feel like my mind is really wild and I sit down and I meditate um, and, and I, my mind is wild, I'm unhappy, I'm stressed out at work, I'm just going to meditate. And then the meditation is going to make everything better. Well, it, it just doesn't work that way. 
At least it doesn't work that way in my experience. And so to understand that the ability to be with things as they actually are is really, it's really um, a wonderful, precious um, capacity uh, because then we don't abandon ourselves. So I almost want the theme of tonight to be how, how can we not abandon ourselves? Why do we abandon ourselves and how can we change that habit and not abandon ourselves? When we're able to be with things as they are, even if they're difficult, that's the actual bridge to compassion. Does that, does that make sense? Is everyone with me? Many people think that compassion is the resolution and the reconciliation of that which is causing them or others to suffer. Sometimes compassion will, you will experience a resolution, but sometimes the resolution that you want is not what, what happens. But if you can be with the situation that you're in, with the feelings that you're having, and not abandon those feelings, those difficult feelings, or abandon the other person that you're with or abandon yourself in a situation like that, then, then you've touched upon real compassion. And it doesn't always have this quality of a quivering heart. It's sometimes this knowing quality that so for me i describe this as compassion arising through the wisdom door it's known directly because i've seen the suffering so so i will give you an example if you're with someone that you love who is dying and they are going to die and they know they're going to die and you know they're going to die and all of the things that are involved and in going on in their minds and in your mind you see it can be very disorienting and scary and so it takes compassion to hold your seat and not abandon the truth of that situation and not go over the edge with fear and regret and all of the other things that are so easy to do. It takes compassion to be there. Now, that doesn't mean that your loved one isn't going to die. It doesn't mean that because you're compassionate, the situation is not going to end up with the way it's going to end up. It simply means that you can be there and not abandon your loved one or abandon yourself in that situation, please. A word that keeps coming up for me, um, seems like, is um, acknowledging. Talk Did right it? into it, because I'm having... Can you turn the sound up? Is it on? There, I can hear it now. Okay. <laughs> the word um, the word that keeps coming up for me is you're, you're kind of uh, alluding to acknowledging what is and then you'll find compassion or... Say it again. Uh, uh, said, uh, as you're, as you're to talking about compassion, 
I keep thinking, oh, you're kind of referring to um, accepting or acknowledging the situation instead of and saying, no, I, I want it this way or I want it that right. way. I'm disappointed. And, and just saying, it is what it is. It is what it is. Is that kind of what you're saying? It, that's kind of what I'm saying, but I'm, I'm saying it as there's a knowing of it. Awareness actually knows what's ha- going on. When you bring awareness to, the, to your breathing process, you don't have to... T- learn how to breathe. You don't have to teach yourself how to know that you're breathing. Breathing is known. If I asked you to bring your awareness to the contact of your feet on the floor, can you do that? Yes. So you don't have to like learn how to know that you know that your feet are on the floor. There's a knowing. And it's the very same thing with these other qualities. And when we get to these places that are open for us and raw and where we feel vulnerable, where, where beautiful things come up and where difficult things come up, the ability to be there and not bolt allows us to change our relationship to our experience. You see, it, it really allows us to move into a place of equanimity, which is not where everything is just perfectly even and it's simply that however things are we can accept them and with compassion and with mindfulness we have the the tools to stay with it you see but compassion and loving kind all those things move towards equanimity and once we're in a place of an equanimous relationship to our experience, then things begin to transform in our life. They begin to actually shift and change. And so, so what I'd like to point, point us to here is that it's not so much a doing as it is a receiving. It's not so much that we have to acknowledge that something is going on. It's more like we have to just trust that we actually know what's going on, you see? So you can know when compassion is present in you. You can know when, when fear is present. You can know when anger is present. You, you just know these things, you see? And when you can recognize them as anger, fear, compassion, love, so on and so forth, you just are not as inclined to invest me into it. You see, if I think that anger has arisen and I think, oh God, I am such an angry person, I'm never going to get over this anger. You know, my whole life I've been angry, I'm always going to be angry. (laughs) You see, but that's one way of looking at it, and that's the narrative that goes on. The other way is that there's just a recognition that anger is there. And the recognition isn't so much a labeling it. I mean, you can label it. There's nothing wrong with labeling it. But there is a knowing of it. There's an awareness that knows anger. There's an awareness that knows suffering. You see? You... Uh, 
you see someone suffering and you don't have to, uh, you don't have to like go and get a degree from Stanford in order to know that someone is suffering. There's just a knowing of it. There's a direct knowing and that knowing is what gives rise to the quality of compassion. In other words, we can't make ourselves be a certain way. This is what we've been habituated to do. We're trying to make ourselves be happy. We're trying to make ourselves be smart. We're trying to make ourselves be safe. All of those things. And we have to attend to business. I'm not saying we don't have to do anything. But there's just a shift of perspective that really requires us it requires practice, and it requires a, a, a kind of trust that we know how to do this. You see, it's not, it's, as I was saying earlier, when we begin to look with awareness and mindfulness at the habits of our mind, and we begin to see how we create our worlds and how we create our identities, then we begin to see through those things. And as we begin to see through those things, they begin to sort of deconstruct and fall away. And that process can be unnerving for people. It can be a little bit startling. So you have to, you have to be gentle with yourself as you're doing this. But... Um, because it will take us to this place of being vulnerable and it will take us to this place of being in resistance to what is being seen and known. You see? So, um, Before you ask the question, I just told it, I just want to say one, one thing, too. In terms of resistance, there, uh, there's no ego without resistance, and there's no resistance without ego. This is, if there's resistance, you always know your ego is involved in some way. And it's not that we are, you know... Um, suggesting that you can live your life without having a good, healthy ego. But what I'm talking about here is that that small self that clings and holds on to things for dear life in spite of the fact that it always turns out more or less the same way. So, please. So I wanted to ask... Um, what is, uh, what's the difference between compassion and equanimity? Well, um, they're, they're, two different, they're, they're two different qualities. Um, compassion is the recognition of suffering in someone else or in yourself. And the wish to alleviate that suffering, there's an emotional quality to it that recognizes it and really wants to do something about it. And then there's this intention to um, do something if you can do something about it and so on and so forth. So um, uh, one way to understand compassion is that when love meets suffering, the natural 
response of the heart is compassion. So when love meets suffering, when love, this quality of love within us, sees that suffering is present, either in ourselves or in someone else, that gives rise to compassion. When this quality of love meets acceptance with the things, with the way things actually are, that's equanimity. Again, it's rooted in love, but it's to be able to be with things as they really are. So going back to my example of, of being with someone you love who's dying, you see, it's compassion that gives you the courage and the ability to actually hold your seat and not abandon yourself or the other person. And it's equanimity that sort of absorbs the compassion and absorb because once that happens you're in a different relationship with your experience and you can accept that oh I am scared and I am sad and grief is present and all of these things are going on and I'm not I can be with it I can stay here is that clear I, th- I, th- I think so so that well, combi- go ahead. So the combination of the two is what lets you really stay to, 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 to feel what's happening and also to, to stay with it, to not take it personally, but to just be Let's with not it. jump right to equanimity. Let's start with um, loving kindness and mindfulness. So it's, you know, mindfulness will, and awareness will allow us to be with our experience in a non-judgmental kind of just this is the way it is. It will show us what's going on almost like a reflection in the mirror. But sometimes what's going on is really hard to be with. And so mindfulness, in my experience, my personal experience, it's sometimes not, it's not enough you see, and it's like something in me is resisting allowing myself to be vulnerable. I don't want to be vulnerable because it doesn't feel right and I'm a man and I shouldn't be weak and blah, 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 whatever the story happens to be. It's compassion then that allows me to have the courage to be with things as they are. And when that happens, I can sort of let go, and then I can see clearly. Then we can see clearly. Let me. It's not about me. It's just this is the experience that that I'm pointing to. Does that make sense? So you you have to be able to be with what's there, but you can't be with what's there if you can't see it. You see, if we're caught in the narrative, the story, <clears throat> she did this, he did that, if it's that kind of a story, that's an unending kind of you know, dead end. So we have to be able to go underneath the story, and the way that we do it is there's not a person sitting in this room that hasn't felt at that core level, what it's like to feel unsettled, to feel like they don't know what's happening, to feel vulnerable, to feel unsafe, to feel unloved, to feel alone, 
to feel whatever. So in my own experience, the way that I encountered this was I'd often, I experienced not a feeling of loneliness, but a feeling of um, aloneness that was very scary, very frightening. And I, I didn't want to be with that feeling. You know, I didn't know I didn't want to be with that feeling, but when it came up, I would use my meditation and I would use all my practice tools and I would use, <clears throat> may I be happy, may I be free, I would use all the method, I would misuse all of those things because I, I didn't have the awareness to see that I, I just didn't have the resources to face what it was like to feel this aloneness. Almost like I was in deep, dark space and there was nothing there. (laughs) Nothing. Not even me, which scared me. So, so it's, whether it's something like that or whether it's that you wanted chocolate ice cream and you got vanilla ice cream. And and this is important because you don't have to be sitting on a cushion. You don't have to be in formal practice. All you have to do is to begin to notice and not to run away from this place inside of yourself, which probably shows up for people multiple times throughout every day. You know, sometimes I get out of bed in the morning and it's a beautiful day and I go into the bathroom and I start to brush my teeth and there's a feeling like, oh my God, there's not enough time in the day and I'm responsible for this. Then the story spins, but the feeling is there. And so I don't want this uncomfortable feeling, so I have things that I do to not be with it. These are the habits of mind. These are the kalesas. These are the torments of mind that keep us from being there. And this is, you see, I discovered that in that aloneness, it was me abandoning myself. See, it wasn't someone else abandoning me. It was me abandoning this place of being uncomfortable or afraid or alone in the universe like on the brink of annihilation, this type of thing. And sometimes when I want chocolate ice cream and I get vanilla, it feels like that. So not, does that make sense? Is it clear now? And, and, and you see, when there's a, a kind of a foundation, you begin to realize you're, you don't make yourself be equanimous with things you just move into a space of equanimity because your relationship to whatever it is changes. So I made a commitment to myself that when I felt this knot in my chest, and this is where I feel it, that I wouldn't abandon myself, that I would, you know, even if I didn't know what it was, I would stay with it. Okay? So, um, resistance is a, it's a kind of an active mode of um, inner coercion. And inner defensiveness is more of a passive 
form of inner manipulation. So um, this quality of defensiveness is, it implies this need to protect, to guard, to insulate. And um, this is how we put up our inner defenses. So each time we feed this habit of inner defensiveness, we're actually feeding the habit of self-protection. And every time we do that, we cut ourselves off from other people and from ourselves. Does that make sense? Every time we, we feel that we need to guard ourselves and protect ourselves, we are actually, it's like we're exercising a muscle. We're actually, we're feeding this habit of self-protection and it disconnects us from ourselves and from others. And um, it's, we actually like thicken our consciousness and we wall off and guard against perceived threats or real dangers. Um, But basically what we do is we cut ourselves off from being able to be intimate with ourselves, to be truly intimate, to be able to be in these places of um, openness. I'll just call it openness. And, you know, they feel tender and not necessarily raw, but definitely tender and delicate. And um, uh, when we steel ourselves against our experience or when we shut other people out, we literally um, cut ourselves off from being able to be there. And um, this division and separation is the ego's basic, you know, mode of defense. This is what the ego does. This is, I can't, I have to guard myself against you because if I don't, um, I'm going to be vulnerable. You see? So... um, as I said earlier, there's no ego without resistance and no resistance without ego, and the ego doesn't exist without its defenses. So that quality of ego is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about personality. Um, and so ego defensiveness or this quality of defensiveness can manifest in a lot of different ways. It can be, we can hide from our experience, we can run away from it, we can isolate ourselves from others, we can contract around it, we can, um, we can just not be willing to show up fully. So, um, So, all this practice is to bring us to a place where we can trust that we can open up and where we can experiment with, with not constantly trying to protect ourselves and where we can stop hiding, where we can stop putting up walls, and um, uh, because when we do that, 
whenever we're activating that, those, those tendencies in ourselves, what we are effectively doing is we're shutting off our awareness. We're no longer aware. We're no longer aware of what's really happening. And if we're not aware of what's happening, um, we're down the rabbit hole. We're lost in thought and we're lost in anger and we're lost in fear and we're lost in whatever those qualities or those tendencies happen to be. And we end up fractured, disassociated, partitioned, uptight, all of those kinds of things. So somewhere along the line, our inner defensiveness actually became a wall against being, against the feeling of being vulnerable. We use this inner defensiveness and this resistance to avoid this feeling of vulnerability. And we need to somehow come to terms with this fear of being vulnerable. Because um, if we don't, if we're unable to do that, we will just be partitioned and closed down and we'll do the same repetitive, we'll engage in the same repetitive behaviors that we've always engaged in. And um, this is, this is really important. Vulnerability, the feeling of vulnerability that scares us, is actually a sign of being open. You see? And if we cannot be open, we cannot touch these beautiful qualities inside of us. We just can't. There's just no way. We think we can, but it's just... We're only sort of touching the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. We, we can never have that quality of intimacy with ourselves or with anyone else. So when we close down this place of vulnerability, which is such an, I mean, it's such a natural thing for us to do because we're so um, trained to, to not want to be with things that are in any way uncomfortable like that especially if the, it's the uncomfortable feeling is really unpleasant and it's scaring us. But um, even if, if, see, you can see that with awareness. And then with, a, with awareness, you can accept that this, this is scary and not abandon yourself. You see, this is actually how compassion arises, but whether it's compassion or wisdom here, uh, which is what I'm talking about. Um, this is what's required. It's, first, we have to understand that to be vulnerable is to be open. So it takes practice, and um, it requires courage, and in my opinion, it requires compassion. I don't think that we can do any of this without compassion. And if I had more time, I'd tell you why. But it means that we have to be willing to be vulnerable, we have to be willing to be open, and we have to see 
what it's like when we abandon ourselves and we have to choose not to abandon ourselves, and that takes courage. Um, uh, when we want things to be other than the way they actually are, we have abandoned ourselves. When we hold to that, this is, this is a, a sure giveaway that we have bolted, you see? And it takes awareness to know the way things really are, you see? So a a perfect example is I'm with a a loved one who's going to die, and I'm afraid, you see? And I feel vulnerable, and I feel my own mortality, and I'm, I'm really distraught. And it takes awareness to see that and compassion to be honest that that's what it, what's going on. And compassion can hold anything and everything. So um, I wish all of you to have open hearts and to meet this, this, this place of um, aliveness and intimacy with yourself with real kindness and compassion and and to move into a place of equanimity. And so um, it's now nine o'clock. I'm sorry I didn't leave time for more questions, but if anyone has a question, they can come up and see me afterwards. So thank you very much for your attention and for coming tonight and listening. And maybe I'll see you next week. <laughs>